Well, thanks so much for having us. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, this has been what feels like for me a bit of a long time coming. Uh, I think it was at least six mo months ago we first met uh, Pastor Rob, and just uh, right from the onset, it was like, man, our hearts are so entwined, and, and it's good. And so he's like, in the summer, let's get you guys here. So we're excited to finally be here. Uh, as he said, I'm, I'm Jeff. This is my wife, Jen. Uh, you don't see them now, but our kids are downstairs learning about spiders, which is super, super exciting. Our daughter is not impressed. Yeah. <laughs> that is like her least favorite bug. But um, uh, so just before I hop into the Word, I want to tell you a little bit about us. So um, last fall, we started a campus ministry uh, initially at Georgian College and very quickly uh, ended up having footprint at Lakehead University in Aurelia, uh, and it's called The Net. And that idea of The Net was birthed uh, last summer. I was driving, and God was talking to me, and he's like, The Net. I'm like, what is The Net? I don't know where this is coming from. So I started looking into it and exploring it, and uh, the only thing I could find about The Net was uh, some church over in the Maritimes. And I'm like, God, what does this mean? And very quickly, doors opened up for us to be on campus, and I'm like, oh, now I get it. And so the net has three, uh, kind of a threefold idea. One, it's off the scripture that I happen to see right here on the stained glass about making fish, uh, fishers of men, and that casting the net. As well, it's the fact that all of us are intertwined. You can't have a net with one string. You need to have multiple strings, multiple connections to build strong bonds to be able to do the heavy lifting. And the church is very much like that. And our community is like that. Whether you know Christ or not, we all have connections with one another. And it's building upon those connections to make something beautiful. And the last is recognizing that we are an online society. And that with students, they're all over the place, across the globe. And so we utilize technology and the internet to be able to build those bridges. So that's a little bit about how we got started. But some of the stuff we do is, is not just... Um, you know, campus ministry as far as telling people about Jesus, but it's also about meeting needs. It's about uh, connecting with those needs that students have in a very real, practical, tangible way. And some of the things we do uh, is huddles. And Jen's going to tell you a little bit about our huddles. Yeah, so our huddles are at the moment online, and they're just essentially small groups where we read the word, we're connecting, we're praying with one another. And it, it's funny, like, we started, really dove into this ministry in January, so we're new, um, but I currently, one is on hold, but I currently have three huddles that I'm leading, and these women, or these young women that are there, um, I've been able to see already the incredible growth that has happened in their lives, and I, I'm, I mean, we're both technically introverts. <laughs> I'm more social than Jeff, but I am so jazzed up after these huddles because we're seeing prayers being answered. We've had some really serious um, things happen in some of these young women's lives because all of the people in my huddles are women, and one of them, she lost her father shortly after we started. Um, another one, her grandparent, um, her grandmother was uh, she passed away, but she's here in Canada. She only has an aunt and uncle in Toronto, and all of her family is in India. So being able to be here and be her family and just be there for her as a comfort while she's, like, grieving this loss, it has brought us together so quickly. And um, when we come together, these huddles, it's just phenomenal watching God move in such a powerful way. And for just an hour and a half a week, and just through reading his word and being together. That's what it's all about. That's the community. And so I love it. I love connecting with these students. I love bringing them hope and 
and just meeting their needs. And yeah, I really love that. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, aside from huddles, uh, we have social events with students. We have, just two weeks ago, we were able to launch our first in-person gathering, which is exciting to have a worship service. The plan was an hour, and uh, for about three hours afterwards, everybody hung out and socialized. And I was like, okay, this is good. This is building connections, and it's a meeting and need that people have for that social interaction because they've been online in class for the last year and a half. So it was really cool to see that work. And um, it's just a very near and dear thing for our hearts. And, uh, and with that, uh, thanks, honey, uh, that falls in line with the message. Um, today, it's, very, it's a very near and dear topic on our heart, and that is evangelism. Um, but before I hop into it, something that's probably a little bit even more dear to my heart is, is memes. If you know what a meme is, you know that uh, you've seen them on social media. You know, it's a picture or a video that connects some unrelated topic to something in your life, and you're like, that's good, that's funny. And so, uh, with memes, um, I have this one. I don't know if anybody of you can relate to that or if you can see it. It's, it says, me looking at myself in the little Zoom box when somebody else is talking. Can anybody relate to that? Been on a Zoom meeting? You have no clue what's being said because you're busy looking at yourself going, how are my eyebrows? Are they good as my hair? Yeah. Shh, I'm on the camera. You get it, right? And so what I like is, Jason Sudeikis has nothing to do with memes, or with, with Zoom, but that image captures it so well because you can see the look in his eyes. And so that's the great thing about memes because it connects those two ideas together. And evangelism is very much the same way. Evangelism is about connecting God to a situation. And uh, Shayla Visser is from Alpha Canada, and she said uh, probably one of the best definitions of evangelism that I've ever heard. And it's that evangelism is joining a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. And I think that's beautiful uh, because it captures it so well. And, and a great example of this, uh, you know, through the New Church Network, we, Jen and I, and I don't know if you were on that one, Rob, uh, but we were on this session with a, a pastor from Minnesota. His name's Peter Hotz. And he was a uh, electronic music circuit club DJ. So he's in these clubs, he's doing music, doesn't know Jesus at all, and um, he's, he's helping people have a great time, and he's deeply depressed. And, he, and he's doing his music at this one club, and he's like, God, if you are the real God, prove it to me. And if you could prove it to me, I give you my life. And if not, I'm going elsewhere. About half an hour later, he steps outside for a smoke break, and this random person comes up to him, and, uh, and says something along the lines of, you don't know me, and this is going to be a little bit weird, but I feel like God is telling me to let you know that he has a plan for your life. He loves you and he wants to know you. And right there, he's like, okay, God, you're real, and I'm in. He's now a pastor, and he's got this really cool inner city church that, uh, amongst many other things, on a weekly basis is feeding 4,000 people, which is so cool. There was a conversation that the Holy Spirit was having with him. He just didn't know it. And somebody was willing to connect God to that situation. And so recognizing that evangelism is about those connections, we need to be willing to be a part of that. And we need to be willing to point people to Jesus and then do it. It's one thing to be willing, but you have to be willing to do it as well. And the scripture we're going to look at today, I think, really encapsulates this. And it's Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21. It's the feeding of the 5,000. So we'll read it. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. 
Does anybody know what happened? He just found out that John the Baptist was killed. This is his cousin. And he's given word that, hey, he just lost his head. So he's grieving and he wants to be alone. That's how this scripture leads in. Hearing this, so hearing about him moving to a solitary place, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, we're going to unpack this scripture pretty quickly, uh, so try not to get lost. I've got six points, uh, so there you go. There's six things to pay attention to, everything else you can, you know, try to remember. But um, if you can remember those six points, that's really what it comes down to. And the first point I want to make is that evangelism can be inconvenient. And we see this right off the top. Jesus wants to grieve. He wants to be alone. And his ministry follows him. He doesn't get that opportunity. And it's no different in our lives. God doesn't always wait for your inconveniences to be dealt with. Sometimes he needs you right here, right now, despite what's happening. And with evangelism, we have to be willing to be inconvenienced. Because if we're not, then we don't get put out of our comfort zone. And I want to give a, a quick example of this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had this tornado that went through Barrie. And uh, it did a lot of damage, and it, it hit a neighborhood pretty hard. And I, I myself am very, very introverted. Like, at church, I like to be the sound guy because there's a wall, and that is like my force field. And I can stand there saying, no, 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 you can't come in the sound booth. Because that's my protection zone, because I, I am very introverted. And, and despite the fact that I could stand up here, it, it makes me super nervous to be around people. And that's just the way I've been. Yet somehow God has had me in jobs where I'm always people-facing. And so I've learned to get through that. And that, that is an inconvenience for me. But quite frankly, that's where God moves really, really well. So with this um, tornado, I reached out to our church pastor, um, our, at our home church, Pastor Adam. And I'm like, what can we do? And he's like, what can we do? So we got a team together and I reached out to some students that we're working with at the college and we're like, hey, let's go meet some needs. Let's head out to this zone and start helping people clean up. And that's what we did. We were out there three different days, uh, three different opportunities to be able to just walk up to people's homes uh, and say, can we help you clean up? Can we, can we help you pick up some of this debris? I, I'm not a tornado disaster relief person, but I can, I can clean up a mess. And we went to this one home this, uh, this older couple, and we started cleaning up their front yard, just talking to them and what their experience was like going through the tornado. Then we go to the backyard, and, uh, and we help them clean up their patio set and all the broken glass and whatnot. We were there about an hour. It was no big deal. There was a good team of 10 of us or so. And as we're leaving, this guy starts to cry. And he's like, you have no clue how much I appreciate this. He's like, my wife and I were looking at this massive mess going, how are we going to make this better? Like, we're older, we just don't have the same mobility. And you guys just showed up at a random 
don't even know you, and you've taken care of the entire mess. All we have to worry about now is calling insurance and fixing the broken windows. And, and he was just in tears. That was meeting a need in a really cool way. But for, for us, we had to be willing to be inconvenienced, get out of our comfort zone, and, and put aside what we were working on, our family time, our school time. Some of those students had homework. And they're like, no, this is more important. And they dropped what they were doing. And that's, that is evangelism 101 when you're meeting those needs. With the scripture that, that we see with Jesus, because he was willing to be inconvenienced, it also meant he had a heart. And, and, and that's the second point. Evangelism requires a heart for people. So Jesus wants to grieve. He wants to be alone. But when everybody showed up with their needs, he's like, this is bigger than me. This is why I'm here. And so when his heart comes through, nothing else matters. And it's the same with us. When we want to evangelize, we have to have a heart for the people that we're connecting with. Because if we don't, then it creates a bit of a barrier. And, and uh, we see it in the scripture that, you know, Jesus landed, saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Despite his circumstances, he wanted to meet those needs. And so with that, I have a question for you. And I have to ask myself this all the time as well. Do I love the person for who they are? Or do I love them as a project? So often in the church, we, we view people and, and meeting needs as a bit of a project. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this now. Uh, this is something I should do. I want to be a good Christian. But the question is, do you have a heart for the people that you're connecting with? Because if you do, then what you are doing to meet their needs takes on a whole new level. And it takes things to the next level of what God can do. When you truly have compassion, you have a heart for those around you, that's when the Holy Spirit can do some really, really cool stuff with the conversation that he's already having. With, uh, with the campus ministry for Jen and I, when we first started, um, it kind of felt like God had thrust us into it, and we were trying to just get our bearings. You know, COVID's happening, and students are online, and, and we're feeling this push, and we're like, God, how do we even do this when we can't see the people face-to-face? We can't meet these students. And as we started getting into the huddles and the small groups and, and getting to know students and slowly being able to connect with them one-on-one, grab coffee with them, we start to see who they are and hear their stories. And this, this heart for the students grew to an unbelievable level for Jen and I where it's, it's all-consuming. And everything we do is about connecting with those students and, and, and bringing them one step closer to Jesus through whatever means possible. And sometimes it's practical, sometimes it's, it's psychological, sometimes it's emotional needs, but we're, we're there and we, we have this huge heart. And, and, and because we have this huge heart, we're looking for ways that we can connect, ways that we can meet needs. And that's the third point of evangelism that we see in the scriptures, that evangelism is about meeting needs. Uh, Daniel Kamari from Journey Canada has a great quote, and he says, often pastors and church leadership pass the wounded over to professionals. But Jesus shows us that we have a role when he said, you give them something to eat. Now, I want to be clear. What Daniel is not saying is don't send people to professionals. It's not what he's saying. If somebody needs professional help, you get them professional help. But usually, when somebody has an issue, there's more than one cause. There's more than one root to it. Uh, case in point, if, if you go to the doctor and you're like, man, I, 
having chest pains. And like, oh, you're having a heart attack. You don't generally have a heart attack at random. There's usually some underlying health issues. Maybe you've been pounding back McDonald's for the last 50 years and your arteries are clogged. Maybe it's a genetic issue and your family's more prone to heart attacks. There's always some sort of underlying issue. And so when people come to you or they come to the church looking for help, there's the surface issue and then there's what's underneath. And as the church, we need to meet what's underneath. And usually it's related to some sort of spiritual um, hurt. Maybe they've been hurt by the church in the past, hurt by the Christians in the past. Maybe they've just never had an opportunity to know about Jesus. And so it's one thing to meet a physical need, but it's another thing to know that there's more at play and we need to be willing to step up and meet those needs. And, um, and we see it in uh, Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40, where Jesus is, is, is laying out, um, again, kind of the king. It's, 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 it's a parable here. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you uh, hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. See, Jesus came for the sick, not for the healthy. And, and the, the mission of the church is no different. Our doors are open for the sick. Our lives are about meeting the sick. It's not about the healthy because we want to bring those who have a need to Jesus' feet. And, and what that means is that we have to find pain points. And I know that sounds kind of negative to say pain points, but, but it's really what it is. And if we don't introduce Jesus to a hurting situation in somebody's life, then we rob the Holy Spirit of being able to advance his conversation with them. I want you to think about that for a moment. When you say no to meeting somebody's need that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to meet, you're robbing him of an opportunity to take that conversation he's having to a deeper level. And some pain points that Jen and I realize when we deal with students is... Um, sometimes way more than we can handle. I mean, Jen was talking about the, the one student whose, uh, whose grandparent passed away. And we can't take away that grief. But what Jen did is she dropped everything. She made some scones. She drove out to this girl's place and just spent some time with her. Being kind of a surrogate family in the midst of grief because there was nobody to hold her. That's a need and a pain point that we can meet. Um, other pain points that we're seeing is finances. Did you know that for international students, it's about double the fees to go to school than it is for a domestic student? I was out for dinner uh, two nights ago, Friday night with a student, and he's like, um, he's like, how much do you think it cost me for one semester at school? I don't know, when I went to university, I think it was like 750 bucks a class. There's what, four or five classes plus your fees. So I don't know, like four grand? He's like nine grand. $9,000 per semester, and it was three semesters a year that it costs him, even though he's in Barrie, simply because he's not from Canada. And he's like, Pastor, I, I honestly don't know, 
What's going to happen in the fall? He's like, I've got to pay my fees, but with that, I also have to have a laptop. And there's certain specifications I need to reach. That laptop's going to run me at least another $1,000. I'm working two part-time jobs while going to school, and I can't pay for it. And if I don't have a laptop at the end of the month, I don't go to school. And that's a real pain point for him. He's given up everything back home to be here, and he's watching his education go down the drain because he doesn't have enough money to be able to meet the basic needs because it's just so expensive. Uh, just came out the other, the other week, I think it was last week or the week before, that Barrie is now the most expensive place to live in Canada for rent, which is insane. A one-bedroom apartment is about $1,780, something like that a month. And this, this guy I was talking to, he's in a home with, I think, 12 students. Five bedrooms, 12 students. And they're all paying about five, 600 bucks a month for rent. And on top of that, he's got his expenses plus his school. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's a pain point. That's, that's a need that Jen and I so desperately want to be able to meet. Because without that, he's not going to school. And his entire future goes up into in, in question. And he's like, I know God brought me here, but I just don't know how it's going to happen. He's like, I'm down to the wire, and I'm believing somehow that God's going to get me a laptop. Some of the other students that we're dealing with, um, you know, it's like, Pastor, I've got a job in the South End, but, but the bus pass is so expensive. And, and so I said to Jen, I'm like, you know, I feel like somebody's got a bike. Why can't we get a bike? So I put it on Facebook and said, do you have a bike? Anybody got a bike you don't want anymore? And within 24 hours, we had a bike. I gave it to him, and he's like, this is amazing. We just saved him 300 bucks a month on a bus pass, and he can now get around town to his job. And on top of that, he's getting some exercise, which is great. See, our society has problems. And I realize I'm giving examples of college students because this is very near and dear to our hearts. It's what we're dealing with on a daily basis. But around you, there are people who have needs. They have pain points. And the Holy Spirit is trying to talk to you about how you can meet those needs. Now, one thing I want to make clear is that you're not supposed to meet every need. We all have a role to play, and we all have uh, different pain points that we can meet. But for you, I want to encourage you to take a look at what's around you and go, what needs can I meet? What needs is the Holy Spirit prompting me to meet? Um, Robin Waller, he's uh, another campus ministry pastor in southern Ontario. Uh, His church is called Lift Church. And he described discipleship, and I believe this applies to evangelism as well, is that it's not a a once-a-week session. It requires integration of lives. That means time, interaction, and proximity. So when you're connecting with people around you, you've got time in the bank, and they're close to you. You've got that proximity. And you have to be able to interact, which if you don't interact with somebody, you're not going to know what their needs are. How often do we find it today that you, you don't actually know your neighbors anymore? I remember growing up as a kid, and I'm not that old, and I knew all the neighbor kids. I knew all the parents on the street. We went to everybody's house. You can get up at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, come home 7 o'clock at night. Your parents have no clue where you are because you've been in somebody else's home. We knew everybody. We live on a cul-de-sac. There's six houses in our circle. And I think one house, they've been there like a year and a half, and I've maybe said three words to them. That's just the way our society has evolved. 
And so that's an area in my life where I can improve and go, I need to connect with these people. They're two houses over. I need to know more about them and where they have needs. With that, and, and I kind of alluded to already that, we, that you're not meant to meet every role, that means that evangelism comes in different roles. So you need to stay in your lane. And I know that's kind of an odd thing to say, but what I mean by stay in your lane is, is know your giftings, operate in them, and leave the rest for somebody else. Because if, if you don't have the gift of hospitality, I'm going to recommend you don't bring over people to your house to be hospitable. Because it's not your gifting. I do not have the gift of hospitality. So I generally am not the one to say, hey, come on over to the house. I'm going to make you some food. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But that's Jen. She's so good at being hospitable. And she loves just connecting with people in that regard. And she's like, oh, hey, you're new. Let me make you a three-course meal that's got French words in it. And I have no clue how she does it because I struggle to make craft dinner for myself. But that's her gifting. At our church, we did a spiritual gifts analysis, and it was so cool because we were able as a church to see individually what each of our spiritual gifts were uh, on, a, on a scale of like our, our strong ones and our not-so-strong ones. Uh, but then we were able to see it on a whole as the church, compile everybody's information. So for myself, my top three gifts were teaching, leadership, and wisdom. Jen's is prophecy, faith, and wisdom. And, and it was so neat because I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is so much where we operate. I'm doing stuff like this all the time. And Jen is doing the same thing. And the fact that, um, you know, faith is in there. But for me, I, I, I'm, I'm about um, I, I, administration. And sometimes faith and administration don't go hand in hand. Because it's like, how are we going to do this? And she's like, God's got it. How? I don't understand this, but we work well. And so if there's an area in campus ministry where faith needs to apply, I, I put that on her. I'm like, you got this. But when it comes to planning something out, I'm like, I got this. This is good. So for you, what are your giftings? What is it that the thing has God equipped you the most in? Now, to be clear, we all have access to all the gifts. So that doesn't mean that, oh, I don't have any hospitality. No, no, there's an element of hospitality that we can all uh, operate in. It just may not be your strongest gifting. And we see that in the scripture. There's actually three main uh, characters at play in the feeding of the 5,000. You have Jesus, who's filling the role of teaching and discipleship. You have the apostles who are hospitality and service. And you have the boy, who's generosity and service. Now, the little boy's not in this version in Matthew, but, uh, but he is listed in John. And so each person had a role to play. And that little boy shows up with uh, exercising in, in service and generosity by saying, here's my food. And the disciples had to operate in service by saying, let, let, let's feed you. And Jesus was operating in his, this teaching. And he's going, hey, let me show you how to effectively meet needs. And so whatever your gifting is, I want to encourage you to operate in that. Look for needs that you can meet within your gifting. Do you have a spiritual gift that says, I'm an encourager? Then you know what? You can meet pain points where people are discouraged. Doesn't mean you have to bake them a cake, but you can stand there beside them and go, I'm here for you. Let's walk through this together. You can do this. You've got this. We see in Romans 12, 4 through 8, 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. One of the other things with this point of, of, you know, kind of stay in your lane is recognizing where you can't meet a need. And case in point, you're not at Georgian College, but Jen and I are. We are able to meet needs at Georgian College when you can't be there because proximity doesn't allow it. That's why churches send out missionaries around the globe. We can't all be in Africa and China and Costa Rica and Alaska and everywhere else. But we can send people to meet those needs. And that means supporting people as they operate to meet needs somewhere else. And so if you can meet the need of somebody that is filling somebody else's need, then do that. And that's why, you know, in the church we see so often that we, we, we give you know, our, our church at home, we are, we're very much a giving church. And one of the things I love is that we go, man, how, how can we support you? How can we help you in this? And, and we're trying to do the same thing with the students. We're trying to teach them. Like, there's so many more people out there than you can touch. And so how can you come alongside and champion somebody else to meet those needs? And when we view the globe in that regard, you start seeing how we have these connection points that I mentioned earlier about the net where collectively we can build this strong connection that allows us to truly meet some big needs. And I want to give you an example of this. A couple of years ago, 2019, I did a sermon um, about tithing, which is always kind of fun to stand in a church and talk about tithing uh, because it's, it's awkward for some. But one of the things I did is I looked at Stats Canada's um, information for who identified on their census data as a Christian. And that includes all denominations, all walks of life, and I'm sure some of them don't in any way, shape, or form live a Christian life, but they identified as a Christian. So I took those numbers anyway, and I said, okay, so if everybody tithed the way they should, biblically speaking, how much money would the church in Canada have on a yearly basis? And with 2019 numbers, it's $108 billion. If every person who identified as a Christian tithed, Biblically speaking, tithing. We'd have $108 billion. So what can $108 billion do? I've got a list. Elimination of world hunger. $39.15 billion based on a UN estimate. Elimination of global slavery. $14.9 billion. Fund the entire World Health Organization aid budget. $5.74 billion fully support 191,000 global missionaries, $14.83 billion, and meeting the yearly estimate to end the AIDS threat by 2030, $34.19 billion. If the, everybody who identified as a Christian tithed the way they were supposed to, that's what the church in Canada can do. That is phenomenal. And you realize just how much of an impact we have when we do what we're supposed to and when we meet needs. 
when we find those pain points and we say, let me introduce Jesus to your situation. The last thing when it comes to evangelism is we need prayer. Now, that's not necessarily in the story of the 5,000, but it's a basic fundamental principle. If you're going to go do something for Jesus, you better have it covered in prayer. Prayer for your protection, prayer for wisdom, prayer for the person you're about to evangelize to. Did you know that it takes uh, seven meaningful connections before somebody's open to receiving Christ in their life? You don't know where you are on that sliding scale of one to seven. You might be the first interaction. You might be the seventh. And so if you're going to meet a need, I encourage you, pray before you go into it. Pray for the seeds that have been planted before you. Pray for the seeds that have been planted after you. That's what Jen and I do. We just connect with students. We don't know what their history is. We don't know where they've been. We don't know what's coming after us. But what we want to do is we want to be able to meet those needs, introduce Jesus into their lives, and when they're done college or in university and they go off into the real world, we want to know that those seeds have been planted and we trust that God is growing it, that the Holy Spirit is having those conversations. That's all we can do. We're not meant to cause people to, to give their life to Jesus. We're just meant to introduce them to them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So my challenge for you is to look at evangelism not as an opportunity to sell someone about Jesus, but instead see it as an opportunity to connect Jesus to their circumstances. And bring it full circle to the beginning. What I mean by that is evangelize like a meme. Once you see this video. Get it? Do you get it now? See, that's how a meme works. He nails them. I want to encourage you, when you evangelize, do it that way. Find those needs and come at it with everything you've got. Thanks, church.